scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. As I was preparing uh, for this uh, morning to look at Jesus' calling of the fishermen, I was surprised, actually, I came across an image that is actually quite an accurate description of what a first century uh, fisherman and their boat would have looked like. So let's look at that now. See, there's a... Anyway. (laughs) I'm guessing people in here couldn't actually see it, but uh, for those of you who didn't get that joke... Images of the American politician Bernie Sanders at his inauguration day mittens in his chair are everywhere, and uh, that was, I'm guessing that wasn't on the screen behind me. Okay, good, because I'm like, I thought it was kind of funny, but uh, nobody here. Anyway, my life group was encouraging me the other night that um, <laughs> they are like, oh, don't worry, Greg, we laugh at some of your jokes, like, yeah, because they know that I Nobody here does, so. (laughs) Anyway, for those of you, uh, I must say, uh, in the kind of that Bernie joke, even as a Canadian, uh, watching American politics from across the border, uh, with all of the turmoil of the past few weeks, it's been quite a welcome reprieve to enjoy uh, some playful humor and I hope that uh, Bernie appreciates it. I know that his sales on his website are probably through the roof right now, so he's got to at least enjoy that. Um, now, out of the desire to find some levity and enjoy something heartwarming uh, in this time, Monica and I started watching a movie uh, that was recommended to us by one of our neighbors. The movie, as it turned out, did a beautiful job of painting a picture of fishermen. Uh, that helps us understand Jesus' call of Simon, Peter, uh, Andrew, James, and John. This movie is called Fisherman's Friends. Uh, it's on Netflix. I'm sure it's on other uh, places too. And it is based on a true story, although like most true stories, it's loosely based on a true story, about a group of fishermen in the small fishing town of Port Isaac in Cornwall, England. Now, as the movie draws you into the lives of these Cornish, this Cornish fishing community, the story revolves around one family that is on its 10th generation as a fishing family. 
So there are six generations that are in the same graveyard at the same church where they have always been. Two generations are still working on the boats, a grand or a great-grandfather and grandfather. And the youngest two generations are a mother and her young daughter who, although they themselves don't work on the boats, their entire lives are still centered around fishing. Ten generations. That's about 250 years of living out the same work, the same homes, the same community, the same traditions, the same stories passed down through hundreds of years, the same history, the same superstitions passed down through centuries. And I don't know about you, but um, I can remember my five-year anniversary working here at Spring Garden and thinking to myself, I've never done anything for five years straight. Now, I'm, if you can believe it or not, I'm at 18 years here at Spring. Um, but no matter how long I end up here, I'm still the first generation of K's to do this. Even if, I do, if I'm here until I pass away, there's nothing in me that can fully comprehend what it is like to have 250 years, 10 generations of doing the same thing, of having that same rootedness, sharing the same everything with my family and with my community. And I'm not sure that any of us living in Toronto can really fully grasp this. Perhaps back in our family lines, we have a longevity, uh, especially those of you who are new to Canada uh, from countries that span back a millennia, not just centuries like Canada does. You have some of this in your past. But the fact that we're all here in Toronto suggests that generation to generation can't actually go that far back. If we could all somehow grasp what it is like for someone who's very being their culture, history, art, family stories, fables, superstitions, everything that has ever formed you, everything you have ever lived and understood is rooted in generation after generation after generation. If we could fathom this, we would begin to enter the lives of Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, it is true, we don't fully know their lineage, but as it is now... Fishing in ancient culture was, like most trades, it was passed down from generation to generation. The story in the scripture that was read this morning points out that James and John were working with their father at the time. Now these fishermen were not simply trying out one job to see how it fits. They won't, weren't begrudging uh, teenagers who kind of were dragged uh, to work, but then one day we're going to go do their own thing. They weren't maybe going to, you know, go back to school and change jobs or move up in the company ladders or anything like that. They were doing what their father did and his father before them and on and on, rooted. And then along comes this Jesus guy who says, come, follow me. And they drop everything and walk away. No hesitation, no looking back, no farewells. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking there's no way that it's just out of the blue that they would walk away from everything they've ever known. 
They probably knew Jesus beforehand and, you know, like Trump supporters, they had already drunk the juice a long time ago before this and was, this was simply the moment of being called to march. We do find in the Gospel of John a different telling of the story of Jesus in the Bible. Chapter 1 um, it tells us that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, had been a disciple of John the Baptist. And that one day when Jesus was walking by, uh, John the Baptist said to Andrew and the others, Look, the Lamb of God. And it goes on to say, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, in this account, there is some backstory which suggests that there is some more context to Jesus' call. However, there are two things I think that are important to note here. One is that, again, while this story has more interaction between Andrew and Jesus than Mark's version, they only spent part of one day together. It's still a long... It's still a long... Um, it's a short relationship to being able to, to be willing to walk away from your whole life for. And the second thing I think is important for us to be aware is that while there is some benefit of trying to piece together the different parts of Jesus' life from the four Gospels, we, we uh, Western uh, Canadians like to do this, right? How can it be what it happened first, what happened second, what happened third? Let's plug them together. Let's get Bibles that are, you know, chronological that try to make it all fit kind of like it's actually a puzzle. Um, of course, as we do that, we find that it doesn't actually fit properly. So it's important for us to uh, be aware that while there is some benefit in trying to do this, trying to align them for this kind of fuller picture of chronological, I think for us to enter the stories as they are intended, we need to keep in mind that each of the gospel writers told the story with a different intent. And they told it from different points in history to different audiences. The Gospel of Mark, where our reading came from, was likely written around 60 AD for Christians in the Roman Empire who were being persecuted under the Roman Emperor Nero. Nero. Now, though there are various thoughts on who exactly wrote the gospel, the most likely and the most accepted understanding is that this gospel is written by one of Jesus' followers, John Mark, and that John Mark is actually likely the interpreter of Peter. That Peter, yes, the Peter in the story, uh, Simon Peter, told Mark the stories, and Mark compiled them into this gospel to encourage those who were being persecuted. Now, however, if you disagree that the Gospel of Mark uh, is Peter interpreted through John, Mark, uh, the point still remains, I think, 
This gospel, like all four gospels, are told from a first century perspective to a certain audience in a certain context to bring a certain point or focus around Jesus. Mark's central audience and purpose was to encourage those under persecution, to tell people of Jesus' divine authority as the Son of God, to affirm Jesus' mission as the Son of Man, the suffering servant. So, bringing these together, let's get back to the passage. Mark 1.16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. At once they left their nets and followed him. Without delay, he called them and they left and followed him. Well, Andrew Peter Andrew and Peter and perhaps even James and John very well may have had some previous interaction with Jesus. The way that Mark wants us to hear the story is very clear. Jesus called and they walked away from everything they had ever known to follow him at once without delay. Now for me in my humanity, I feel the need to justify their willingness to walk away and follow Jesus. So maybe they didn't have this really long relationship, but they they must have seen some amazing miracles. Or Jesus touched them and they felt his power. Like anything concrete, anything indisputable or experiential. But for Mark, and even more powerful if this is Mark telling Peter's version of the story, the response of the fishermen to leave everything was simply because Jesus called them to follow There had been no miracles, no signs and wonders to draw them. They didn't need spectacle to follow Jesus. Now, those things were soon to come, but they had not yet. Without seeing miracles and spectacles and amazing things, Jesus called and they followed. Now, this call of Jesus was also not simply a common first century Jewish practice of a rabbi or of a teacher and their disciples. So sometimes you can think, okay, maybe this is just a cultural thing that's happening. This is what happens. You know, rabbis walk around, they say, follow me. And well, that's what you do if you're a good Jew, you know, you follow the rabbi. Well, this, that isn't actually the cultural uh, practice. Jewish rabbis did not call followers to themselves. If someone wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, they went to the rabbi and asked to be the rabbi's disciple. They searched out the rabbi. But here, the fishermen do not search out Jesus as the rabbi. Jesus, the rabbi, searches them out. And as commentator J.R. Edwards says, the fishermen were not required to do anything before they became disciples. They need not exhibit knowledge of the Torah or pass a qualifying examination in theology. What they need to learn and do can only be learned and done as they follow Jesus. 
Their response was because, unlike other rabbis, Jesus called them to himself as they were with no required qualifications, inviting them to leave what they knew and to enter into the unknown of following Jesus of Nazareth. Now, of course, it isn't actually true to say it would have been a totally unknown, at least as far as the message. Even with Mark's uh, emphasis on the fishermen responding to the call at once and without delay, they would have known something of Jesus' message. Before John walks up to the disciples, before Jesus walks up to these uh, fishermen, Mark 1, 14 to 15 tells us this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, while Mark wants us to hear the immediacy in the fisherman's willingness to drop everything and follow Jesus, he wants us to know the core message of Jesus' teaching and ministry from the outset. And as Jesus was in Galilee proclaiming the message of the good news of God, it is likely these first disciples would have at a minimum heard inklings of it. Of course, there are books and books of material uh, that are packed in these first two verses. I just want to highlight a few key points that I think uh, Mark wants us to hear, and I think that we want to carry with us as we uh, get in, go into more uh, Mark through the coming weeks. And the first, I think, is often missed. Verse 14 starts with, after John was put in prison. I think this feels like a cast-off verse to maybe give some context. But as we discussed a couple weeks ago, Mark starts his gospel by continuing the Old Testament where it left off. Hundreds of years of silence from God has now ended with, for the first time in many generations, a voice calling out, telling them that God is uh, once again on the move. This voice was John the Baptist who was preparing the way for what was to come, preparing the way for Jesus, the Son of God, the suffering servant, the Messiah. And in one way, John being put in prison functions as a way of saying, now that the way has been prepared, now that John has prepared the way, it's time for John to move aside and Jesus to begin what he came for. Although this would be a pretty petty way of kind of getting John for God to just simply get John to stop his ministry, right? I think it's more significantly remembering that the gospel of Mark was written for Christians who were being persecuted. John's arrest and eventually his execution is, in a sense, a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus. It was arrest and execution. It's also a foreshadowing of what will happen to the followers of Jesus that Mark was writing towards. Arrest and execution. Persecution at the hands of the Romans. And so while we today, who are safe to practice our faith... We would hear this kind of as a dire warning and, oh no, persecution. For Mark's readers, it would have been received as an encouragement. This was the way of John. This was the way of Jesus, our Lord. And so it is the way for us. And so Jesus' call of the fishermen is a risk of faith. 
The next, Mark tells us, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And of course, you know, what is the good news of God that Jesus proclaimed, the gospel that Jesus proclaims? The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. The time has come. Now, this is not time in seconds and minutes. This is time is in the right time, the full, opportune, pregnant time. And at that opportune time, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus' core message is the kingdom of God. Now, we often at spring, and I think in our, well, our tradition, I think a lot of Christian tradition, speaks about the kingdom of God has come near, is that it is a now, it's happening now, but it's not yet. You know, it's present, but it's not fully here. It's present without consummation. And we think of God's kingdom as places where God has some reign, where he rules, where he has authority, you know, in our hearts, in acts of love, in anything we do, in anywhere we are, where love wins and is reflective of God's reign and his kingdom. Present everywhere that God is. Yet Jesus' disciples, hearing of the kingdom of God, would not simply thought of this uh, intangible, inward, everywhere kind of thing. As Scott McKnight in his book, Kingdom Conspiracy, addresses, they would have thought of God's kingdom not just in spiritual terms, perhaps primarily not in spiritual terms, as simply God's reign and saving, restoring, reconciling, redeeming. They saw it in a political and cultural terms. God is king, reigning in the very real realities of society, politics, and economics. And so Jesus' call of the fishermen is to placing themselves under the authority and in service to Jesus the King. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' core message is also about repentance. Repentance is not simply saying sorry for something. I think a lot of us, in my tradition, I was raised to hear repentance is just, is just kind of being sad and beating yourself up about something that you did you shouldn't have. But repentance isn't simply saying sorry for something. Repentance is actually turning. It's a turning away. Repentance is what you turn from, and believing is what you turn to. Repent, turn, and believe. Turn from, turn to. Like the kingdom of God, repentance isn't simply about inward turning from sin, but it is about outward change, turning from anything that isn't God's kingdom and turning towards belief in the good news of Jesus that his kingdom, though yet not fully present, still changes everything. And so with this message ringing in their ears and ringing in their imaginations, Jesus calls out to the fishermen and says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Fishers of people. Now, Jesus is using the tool of their trade, something they know so well, to touch their imaginations and to give this invitation. But I'll be honest, sometimes I wonder if Jesus didn't actually regret using that metaphor <laughs> as time went on. The ways that metaphor has been used in the past, the abuses that have been done in the name of evangelism with this fishing imagery, bait and switch, hook, line and sinker, 
You know, you throw out something attractive to lure the people in. And then once you've got them close, you cast a net, you kind of trap them. And then when you've got them where they can't get away, you club them over the head with the fear of hell. I mean, club them over the head with the good news. I mean, lovingly present your trapped people with the good news. And I can picture God saying, O-M-S. Or like Jesus saying, O-M-S. Now, Jesus wouldn't say O-M-G because he is God, so O-M-S is O-myself, right? He's saying, oh my, okay, oh my, oh my goodness, if I knew that they were going to do that for centuries, I never would have used that analogy. To be honest, if this is our perception of what Jesus calls us to, if this is our perception of what Jesus means when he calls them to fish for people, this is exactly the type of thing that we need to repent of. That we need to turn away from and turn to something that is more godlike. What Jesus is doing in this is not advocating for aggressive, confrontational evangelism. His invitation is walk away from everything you've ever known. I will disciple you. I will teach you, I will mold you, and I will make you into new and vastly different type of fishermen, fisherwomen. Follow me, and together we will bring many people into this new reality of God's kingdom. This is the invitation. It will be hard, it will take great faith. It will be unknown and uncharted, but I am worth it. Believe me and follow me. Now, one thing we always need to keep in mind in reading the Bible, I think, is that stories are descriptive, not prescriptive. They describe something. They don't necessarily prescribe something or what is happening is not saying, do exactly this. I don't think taking the scripture seriously means that we all, every single one of us, need to walk away from everything that we've ever known. That all of us, everyone who follows Jesus, need to leave our jobs, our families, our inheritances, to, to leave everything. Now, don't get me wrong. For some of us, Jesus' call on our lives will be or has been exactly that. To walk away from what we know into something completely different in the very essence of what we do. But even if Jesus calling us to follow does not mean quitting your job, I do think this teaches us there is sacrifice to Jesus' call. I do think we all need to be willing to turn away from the things we've always known that oppose the kingdom of God, like bait-and-switch evangelism. For many of us, the call of Jesus will be to see what we know differently, to turn away from the assumptions that we carry from the past, turn away from the cultures and the stories and the values that control our outlook and our pursuits when they are not aligned with the kingdom of God. To turn away from what we, or being willing to turn away from what we've inherited 
that we've always assumed to be good and correct, but are finding out perhaps aren't as good and correct as we thought. To turn away from seeing our vocations from a worldly perspective and turning to see them at a different angle and believe that what we can do and what we do can be reflections of who God is. Even those of us from Christian backgrounds and, well, perhaps especially those of us with Christian backgrounds, we all have family history, stories, myths, values, presumptions, things that we assume to be good and right, but that are askew of God's kingdom and the heart of Jesus. We need to have the humility and faith to hear Jesus call into our assumptions and our upbringing, to hear him call us to follow him into an unknown. Even when we are comfortably living in these inheritances and assumptions, Jesus comes to us. He searches us out and he calls us to turn towards him in faith and belief, to lay down our nets, those tools of our old ways of life, and to step into new kingdom ways. Jesus calls us to take a risk of faith, to walk into the unknown, and to place ourselves under the authority of Jesus in service to our gracious King, who is the only one worthy of our following. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful um, that we do not need to chase you down, that um, we do not need to have our understanding of Scripture down. We do not need to have all of our ducks in a row in order to follow you. That oppositely, you search us out. You search us out. You find us. You call us to yourself. We simply need to open our lives, open the doors of our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our spirits to you. To lay down our nets. Those tools of living in a different kingdom. And to follow you into the unknown, knowing that we can trust you. That our hope is in you. And that there is no one else worth following. So we offer you ourselves, our lives, the wholeness of our being to follow you into your kingdom. Amen.